Just now as I was praying, something the Lord put in my heart, so I'm going to share it. I remember a few weeks ago, I don't remember exactly when it was, we were doing our Friday night class, uh, our Love Says Go, uh, and one of the things that was, was mentioned in that class was, uh, it was Seth, uh, I can't think of his last, he's the children's pastor, Dalton, Dahl, Seth Dahl. He's the children's pastor at Bethel in, in Redding, California. And he had talked about uh, this little boy that was having seizures. He would have three seizures a day. I may have shared this already, but I'm going to share it again. He was having three seizures a day, and, and the, the parents told him they were going to bring him to church that, uh, the next service, and they wanted him to pray for him. And uh, Seth said that he was... He said in his mind, he didn't have a testimony. The Word of God talks, Revelation talks about the power of the testimony. Psalms 119 talks about the power of a testimony. That he, uh, Psalms 119 says, I've meditated. He said, I have more wisdom than all those around me because on your uh, testimonies, I meditate all the time. Why is that? Here's the thing. The, the word testimony, it means do it again. It means do it again. So when you share testimony of who God is and what he's done, it says that he'll do it again. It gives him the, the right of way to do it again. That's why we share testimonies here. We share testimonies about people who've had physical healing. We share testimony about people who've had financial breakthrough. Because what it says is that he's the same. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if he's ever done it, there's a potential he can do it again. That's a good word right there. But Seth was talking about the, the seizure. He said, I had never prayed for anyone with seizures, and, and I... I uh, Hadn't, didn't have a testimony to draw from. He said, the testimony gives me strength because I think about the goodness of God and what he's already done. He said, so I didn't have a testimony, so I just went to the Lord. And he, had, uh, he said that they were going to pray for something else. He, he said that uh, he just had in his heart to pray for any kid who had been diagnosed with ADHD. And here's what I think. I really believe this about kids that are diagnosed with ADHD. What I think is they're accelerated learners. And... They, they don't focus because what, what's already been theirs, what they already have a grasp of it, so it's easy for them to lose attention. I, see, exactly. <laughs> I, said, I was hesitant to say that because Ben was diagnosed with ADHD. And he is a tremendous leader, and he's... Uh, what? He was a study case. They came up with ADHD because of you. Is that what it was? Yeah, hallelujah. But Ben, I, I look at, I think of Ben, but not just them, other kids that uh, I've talked to, even here in church, uh, that kids have been diagnosed with ADHD. And I look at those kids, and what I see is their ability to grasp things really quick and to move on. So what is normal to everybody else can be boring to them. Anyway, <clears throat> I think what it is, I think it's a, a word curse that's spoken. The word says death and life is in the power of the tongue. And here's the reality with that. You don't have to believe it for it to be true. You don't have to believe in gravity. But I promise you, if you get up on top of the building and take a step off, gravity's going to work whether you believe in it or not. It's a fact. And the same thing is true with the power of words. Throughout scriptures, we were absolutely created in the image of God, and he created everything by words. Anyway, so he said that, he wanted all the kids come down who had been diagnosed with ADHD. 
And so the kids started coming down. They were going to pray. And he, you know, he said, I had a testimony for that. My faith was up for that. And then this little boy just yelled out, I have seizures. I want to be healed. He said, so this, he said, well, come on down. And he said, so they prayed for those. And then he said, his, he was there praying as this little boy came. He was praying. He said, he just went to the Lord very honestly. And he said, Lord, I don't have a testimony right now for seizures. I haven't, personally, I haven't ever seen anyone healed of seizures. It didn't discount the fact that he knew it was God's will for this little boy to be healed. Are you with me? Seth was just dealing with in himself, stirring his faith up that he could pray in faith, not doubt and unbelief over this little boy. Are you with me? So he said, as I was praying for this little boy, he said, all of a sudden I had a, a, a vision. And he said, I saw this, I think he said thousand foot, thousand foot Jesus. And he said, I'm just standing there and I'm praying like this. And he said, I see his feet. And I look up and he's a thousand foot tall. And he said, I look, and he's looking down. And when he, I look down because he's looking down. And he said, and I see the word seizures, and it looks like little ants. It looks like little ants on the ground. And he said, so I look at this thousand-foot Jesus, and I see seizures, and they look like little ants. And he said, and I see Jesus just take his foot and step on one like this and move his foot and squish it, and seizures are no more. And he said, immediately faith arose on the inside of me. And he said, I just said, Seizures are like an ant to you, Jesus. They're nothing to this little boy. So they've got to go. He didn't fight. He didn't bind and curse and loose. That's for the charismatics. <laughs> he just very simply said, man, seizures are like an ant. To, they're nothing to Jesus. So why did I say all that? I don't know. There might be someone here with seizures. If so, we'll pray for that. In Jesus' name, they have to go. But as I was praying, and the Lord said, today's a day of breakthrough. What he showed me was whatever that problem is, it's like that little ant. And it's all about perspective. You know why we worship? And you know why we worship extended in the river? It's not just because I'm a worshiper, which I am. I love to worship. We do because what it is is an opportunity for us to set perspective for us. For us to set perspective in the room. For us to say, God, I choose to set my eyes on you because you're bigger than anything else I'm facing. Because the reality is every one of us, when we came in today, there are different things that we faced before we got here. Maybe it was last week. It was different things uh, in our jobs and our lives, just different opportunities that presented themselves to us before we walked in the door. And I'm human. I have lots of things this morning I had two different people, my wife being one, and it reminded me of everybody that's on vacation today. And I thought, I might have to preach this way to look at a picture because there won't be anybody in here. Because Stephen said, you know, so-and-so's gone, so-and-so's gone, so-and-so. And then I got picked Tina up, and she said, you know, so-and-so's gone, so-and-so's gone. I was like, Jesus, help me. Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> and I had to set perspective that, you know what, Jesus, you're good all the time. You're good all the time. And it, it doesn't matter who's here and who's not, right? And that's the reality of my world, just so you know. That's the reality of my world. Yours is maybe something different. That's the reality of my world. It's something that my flesh will, will, will get the best of me if I allow it to, if I don't choose. And that's, that's where Psalm says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Again, I say, bless the Lord. He's talking to what? His soul, his mind, will, and emotions. Same thing when we're facing circumstances in our lives, when we're facing situations in our lives. If we set our eyes on the thing, it will get bigger. It may not physically grow, 
Sometimes it does. It may not physically grow, but the attention I give it causes it to grow on the inside of me. The more attention I give it, I had a, a, a guy that I've been ministering to sent me a text yesterday and basically was talking about the hard time that they were having and said they had been examining themselves and couldn't hardly find any fruit of the Spirit in them. And I just sent him a text back and I said, the problem is you're looking in the wrong place. If you look at you, you'll find faults very easily. If not, you're just deceived, <laughs> right? Just being real. It's so easy because, you know what, we live with us all the time. We know when we, when we do things and say things and, and it can be taken the wrong way or that that's an accident. And then we know there are other times that we're just in a foul mood. I know none of you are that way. <laughs> but sometimes we're just in that mood and we need to do the check up from the neck up. And we need to go, wait a minute. He said, soul, I say to you, soul, bless the Lord. That's your mind, will, and emotion. So it means there's a decision that has to be made. And I feel the same thing that today when I said that, that today's a day of breakthrough. Today is a day. I could see people that were right there. And the best illustration is I, I remember listening to a teaching by Chip Brim one time. And he talked about football. He was a football coach. I can't remember if it was Arkansas or what. But his mother's Billy Brim, well-known speaker in the uh, charismatic world. But he was a, a football coach. And he talked about the message that he was talking about was talking about being on the goal line. And he said, here's the thing that I know from coaching years. And they won championships under him. He was a, he was a, uh, a well-achieved football coach. He said, here's one thing that I know. He said, when you get to the goal line, when you're in the red zone, he said, the majority of good defenses, they'll pull out those little wiry safeties. And they put in the big backs. Because they don't have to worry about running you down on a long pass. You got 10 yards. He said, so what they do is they put the meat in because they know nine times out of ten, you might be a little pass over the back, but nine times out of ten, you're going to try to pound it in. So they put the big guys, they put the meat on the line to try to keep you from reaching the goal. And he said, here's what I know. Many times when we get at the point of breakthrough in our lives, we're getting ready to score, to win in that area of life, it seems like all the host of hell come against you. <laughs> that makes sense to anybody other than me. And he said, it'll seem like that, man, this is harder than it was. And he said, it's because many times the enemy sees, man, they're at the, if they get this, because see, here's what I want you to understand. That one area that you're believing God for, for breakthrough in that one area, it's not just that one area that God wants you to have breakthrough in. See, we get so uh, situational, situationally focused. If we can get past this one thing. I remember a guy going to someone for prayer one time, and he said, so what do you want prayer for? He said, well, I got this and this and this and this going on, but if God could just heal this one thing, I'd be okay. He said, yeah, because God's power is very limited. He can only hit that one thing. He said, that was pretty stupid, wasn't it? He said, yeah, that was pretty stupid. But we get so situationally focused that there's just this one thing, and the more that we put attention on that one thing, the bigger it gets. It grows in our minds, and it grows in our hearts, and then we see that more than we see anything else. But what God is saying is if you, can, if you will press in this area and believe in this area, when you come through, it's not just that one area. See, it's always bigger. Because we, if we're looking at a piece of cloth, we look just at that one little piece of the remnant. But God stepped back and he sees the whole tapestry. And he sees that how this one thing, what it is to you, but he also sees that when, because see, here's the thing. 
Sometimes Josh's breakthrough, when he breaks through, he's going to pull others with him. One, by testimony, just by the sheer fact of the testimony that this is what God did. And if Hebrews 13, 8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then if this is what he did, then he can do it again. So what that causes on the inside of someone else is faith to arise. They go, man, if that happened for Josh, it can happen for me. Josh isn't in the Bible. He's not one of those that I read about in the Bible. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. We superhumanize the people in the Bible. What do you mean? We read about guys in the Bible, and we think, well, they had superhuman faith. They had an ability to do what they did beyond what I have. So that's why they were able to do that, and that's why I struggle in this area. That's a lie from the pit of hell. That's a lie from the enemy that wants to, to, to disempower you to think that you're just human. And some of you are going, well, I am just human. Then you need to be born again, and today's your day. Because when you get born again, the Word of God says that He puts His Spirit on the inside of you. That your spirit, Corinthians says, 1, 6 says that we, He who's joined Himself to the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. So I am no longer only human when I get born again. One third of me is, is Holy Ghost. That might be new to some of you. But that's a fact, Jack. That's the reality, is that when we get born again, we're no longer just a human being. We are a spiritual being filled with his life, his love on the inside of us, having a human encounter. But if we focus on our human limitations, we will always come short. Because what we do is discount everything God's placed on the inside of us. That's only relevant if you believe God's word is true. If not, you're free. But if you believe God's word is true, then on the inside of us, the spirit of God lives. So we're not just human. So when we have a perspective that I'm only human, then what we do is we take from God what he's placed on the inside of us and we set it aside. And when we get to that place of breakthrough, and all we can see is the struggle Instead of the victory, what we've done is we've moved ourselves from faith into fear. We're still very focused. We're just very focused on the wrong thing. And that's very easy to do because most of the time it lines up with your soul, which is your mind, will, and emotions. I know you guys may not be emotional. I'm kind of an emotional guy. I don't, I'm unashamed in that. I get excited. When I'm excited, I'm excited, and most everybody knows it. I'm an excitable guy. I'm an emotional guy, and I thank God for that. But I cannot allow emotions to be the leader of my life. The Word of God has to be the truth because, see, if you want to know what you really look like, it's right here. The only, when I say that one-third of you is spirit, one-third of you is born again, is a new creation. One-third of you, the only way you're going to know what that third of you looks like is by looking in here. One-third of you is body. It's easy to see what that looks like. You just look in the mirror. You tracking with me? I'm trying to keep this simple. I'm not trying to go deep today. I want to stay simple because I want us all to get it. That we can look in the mirror and we can see what one-third of us looks like. First Thessalonians says that we are a three-part being. 
says that we are a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. Everybody tracking with me? I know this is, some of you go, oh, please, just move on. I am. But I want us to be on the same page. I want us to move forward because if we don't understand this, I really believe this is where so many people miss it. Because we're so human-minded, we're so carnal-minded, and I've talked about this quite a bit. Carnal doesn't mean sinful. Carnal means, carnal means fleshly. It means focused on this. So we can look at our bodies. If there's something going, if you stub your toe, you don't have to be emotional. It will be emotional most of the times. But you don't have to be emotional about it. There's a fact. Your body's talking to you, right? If... All right, we'll leave it from the body. We'll go over into the soul, the mind, will, and emotions. If you're working a job and your uh, outgo is more than your income, you get that? That means you, you owe more than you make. <laughs> your emotions will talk to you, right? And a lot of times they'll talk in depression. Well, you ain't ever going to change. This is going to be like this. I've always been this way. It's the way it was with my parents. It's the way it's always going to be. I'm just in this cycle. And sometimes it's that mindset. It's your soul. It will talk to you. And so the other part of us is our spirit. And the only way we're going to know what our spirit looks like is through the Word of God. The only way we're going to know who we're really created to be and what we're created to be like is through the Word of God. And if we, if we neglect the Word, and that's one of the things the enemy will, will try to do. He'll say, well, it's hard to understand. I'm going to tell you, don't start in Leviticus. Don't start there. I tell people, start in John and in, in Galatians. Because Galatians is a condensed version of the grace of God. Romans is, a, is a, a detailed teaching on the understanding of what it means to be saved by grace. But Galatians is just like this uh, espresso shot of it. Because it's in Galatians that... Paul says twice, if any man preach any other message, any other gospel other than one I preach to you, let him be accursed. Again, if it's an angel that says he's from heaven and he preaches a gospel different than this one, let him be accursed. Why? What was he dealing with? He was dealing with the reality of people thinking there's things I have to do to please God so that I can be, be a Christian. And uh, another book that's very important, and this is where I'm going to land uh, and speak briefly. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4. I've shared this many times. In Ephesians, we see Ephesians, I see Ephesians broken down in two parts. Ephesians 1 through 3 deals with our identity. It deals with our who, who we are in Christ. And Ephesians 4 through 6 deals with our do. You got it? You tracking with me? That's real simple. Your who and your do. And I believe that it's in that order on purpose. Because here's what I've seen in, in Christianity is that a lot of people get taught what to do before they ever know who they are. And that's why we see burnout in the church. I mean, you see burnout in any organization. I don't care what the organization is. Listen, if you've got an organization that has a leadership structure that doesn't have an identity of who they are apart from their title, they'll destroy themselves and everyone else. Because they have to guard their title because it's their identity. See, I'll bring it down to me. I, I might be the pastor of the river, but that's not my identity. My identity is the son of God. 
I might be the primary speaker at the river, but that's not my identity. Because if that's my identity, then when someone comes who speaks better than me, I don't know who I am anymore. So what I have to do is stop that from happening. What I have to do is I have to become a lid. Because if anybody gets ahead of me, anyone who's better than me, then that makes me look bad so that they might kick me out. That makes sense? I mean, that's the reality. But if I understand, I'm first and foremost, I'm a child of God. I have identity in Him because I'm accepted. Ephesians 1 says, I'm accepted in the beloved. So my acceptance doesn't come from everybody coming up to the end of the service. Man, that was a great message. That was the best one yet. That's not where my acceptance, I enjoy, I appreciate encouragement. I'm not saying that. I appreciate it. But if my identity comes from, well, man, did I knock that one out of the park? Did I even get a single today? Then what I, my focus is on is me, and it's not on him. I'm just speaking real. I'm just speaking real. And then what I do is I said I become a lid because then if I see somebody who can knock it out of the park every time they get up, then what I'll do is I'll shut them down because, because they threaten me because my identity is in what I do, not in who I am. The other side of that is I'll get involved in church, and I get excited. I really like the church, so I want to do a lot of stuff so that the preacher will know that I'm really committed. So I volunteer for everything, and I do it good for about six months, and then I get burnt out because then I go, I'm doing all this, and the preacher don't even notice. You know what? I walked into church, and he didn't even speak to me today. I wonder how he'd like it if I'm keeping nursery and just didn't show up. I bet he'd know I wasn't here then. But today, I'm here. I'm doing my, I'm at my post, and I'm serving with all I got. Lord, it's unto you, Jesus. But he didn't notice me. He don't even know I'm doing it. <laughs> and so our attention switches from serving the Lord to serving man. And so what we're after is the approval of man so that we can feel uh, validated. So that we feel like I matter, I'm important, I have an identity. I want to tell you this, I don't care what you do here, what you do at your job, your title is not your identity. It might be your position in that company, but it's not your identity. If it is your identity, then you've set yourself up to fail. Because anyone who comes in and who can do your job better than you, then they just took your identity. And now you feel less than. So Ephesians, the first part of Ephesians 1 through 3, it deals with our identity. <laughs> it's funny, I don't know if I should. When we were in the DR, we talked about that Sunday service. And I think Ben just ruined the guy's identity. If he didn't know Jesus, and he wasn't secure in Jesus, if his, if his thing was about delivering his hour and something long message that was going to be 20 minutes, he, would have, he walked away from that church just wounded and confused. Because this gentleman spoke for over an hour, supposed to be a 20-minute message. The first 20 to 30 minutes was good. And you don't know him, so I am, I'm, not, I'm not tearing him down. I'm just telling the facts. After 20 minutes, he went into an agenda. It was clear he had an agenda, and he was going to get through his agenda, and he was going to give all the points to get through his agenda. So he spoke for over an hour, and it was, 
it was uh, over. And I said, hallelujah. And I shared this last week. I even went to Ben. I was mad because our team was tired. And we were, anyway, we were supposed to be sharing. And anyway, he spoke. He wasn't even going to use an interpreter. So he was going to, he said, I'll be short, so I don't need an interpreter. If we would have sat there for an hour, we wouldn't, all our team would have been asleep because we'd been working all week. Anyway, let's focus. Squirrel, a little focus. So I go to Ben, and I tell Ben, I say, Ben, our people are, I'm looking around the room, and our people are like this. They glazed over, eyes are glossy, no focus. You can run your hand in front of the face now like this. The ones who aren't asleep. Stephen's passing around the Bible. It says, Pharaoh, let my people go. <laughs> let my people go. So I go to Ben. He's in the back. I go to Ben. I said, Ben, just give them a five-minute encouragement. Tell them if they need prayer to put their hand wherever they're hurting, and we'll just do a general prayer, and we'll, we'll bless them, and we'll go. But Ben got up. And the presence of the Lord, and see, this is, this is the thing. His gift, he was functioning in his gift. And when he stood up, there was an, a presence of the Lord, a tangible presence of the Lord came in the room. And he spoke six minutes, five, five to ten minutes. No, it wasn't ten minutes. I know it wasn't ten minutes. Five to six minutes. And faith in the people arose. These are the same people that had been in church for almost two hours. And faith arose in the people. And I looked at our team, and that, that same team that had the gloss look on their face and was like, is this ever going to end? was like, like everybody just got an espresso. I mean, they were like, come on, let's do this. So I stepped up to Ben, and I said, now tell the people to come down. Not telling him what to do, but just to confirm what was already in his heart. Just tell them to come down. We want to pray for him. So he invited the people to come down, and we started praying, and I mean, I, a majority of our team who was burnt out, <laughs> tired, ready to go, when the presence of the Lord, a majority of our team experienced things in the Lord they'd never experienced before in their lives in that moment. Why? Because His presence was there. Because we, if we had set our eyes on the physical, we could have still stood there at the stage like this and said, man, Ben, that's exciting, but I just have nothing to give. I'm just done. Do your deal, man. But we were so sensitive to who lived in us that when faith started speaking, faith on the inside of us awakened. And we were ready. We were like sick them to a bulldog. And we saw God do so much. I mean, our, our young girl, like I said, there was a little girl, Heather and, and Hannah and Savannah was praying with this one little girl. Her leg grew out, what? Two to three inches? That's substantial. That's not like it moved this much. That's not shifting the hips so you can make it look like something. I mean, this was a little girl. It was amazing what God did. And see, that's the difference. If we can recognize who He is, even in the midst of what's going on around us, if we can see Him and recognize Him, then faith can arise, and it can make change right there, right then. But see, that comes from knowing who we are. Ben knew when he stood up who he was. 
He wasn't there to impress anyone. He just knew who he was, and he stepped out into what God had called him to do. And when he did, we saw a whole church touched by the presence and the power of God. That's powerful. And I'll say this. I believe it was because of the unity that I've seen in our, that we, I saw in our group and uh, our ability to flow with one another, to work with one another. So when, when the Lord started speaking to Ben and working through Ben, we just came alongside him and we was like, man, we can partner with this. And I say that because I want to, I said Ephesians chapter 4, I want to share something real, real briefly. Because I'm going to start uh, teaching on our core values, uh, who we are as a church and what that looks like going forward. But one of the things before I do that, and this will probably be woven in and out of the, the core values, is the reality of keeping unity. And I want to I define unity and I want to define conformity. I've said this before, but I want to say it again because this is paramount. Because if you have an orphan mindset, when I say unity, you immediately think conformity. And here's the difference. Unity is this, a condition of being one, a combination into one, something whole. Listen to that. Unity is something whole or complete. It's harmony and singleness among individuals. Now, here's conformity. Conformity is doing and thinking as one. It didn't say being one. It says doing and thinking like one. And that's, to me, the slippery slope, is that we try to get people to conform to our image instead of walk in unity with us. We want people to think like we do and do like we do. You know why? Because it's easy and it's clean, especially in my world. You know what? I may not do everything right for everybody else, but for me, most of the time, yes. So if I can get everybody else to do just like me, it's a beautiful place, right? That's a real, that's a reality. That's the way we think. We may not articulate it. We may not vocalize it, say it out loud, but that's what we're thinking. And I do many times, y'all know, driving is an area I grow in. And I'm going to tell you, if the Lord can stretch you anywhere, it's in the DR. Because there are no traffic laws, there are traffic suggestions. And they change every day. Every day. But it's in that area. I've said before, it was so funny. It's been a few months ago. I was at Domino's, and uh, I was picking up pizza. It was a healthy one. It wasn't one of those bad ones. Uh, we were actually taking it to someone. We were taking it to a family who had lost a loved one. I wasn't even going to eat it. Thank you, Lord. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. I love pizza. I tried to eat it yesterday, and Tina wouldn't let me. But we picked it up, and there was a guy in there that worked for Domino's, and he said, hey, you remember me? I said, well, your face is familiar. I, love, I know faces. I don't, I don't forget faces. Sometimes names. Oh, that's good. I, knew, I said, I know your face. He said, I remember years ago you spoke. And I'm like, all right. Something I said impacted his life. He said, you talked about if you could just teach one day on driving, the world would be a better place. <laughs> so just so you know, God's still working on me in that area. It's been years. But he said, I remember when you said if you could teach driving school, then at a stoplight, if everyone was paying attention, 
when the light turned green, it would be, be like a beautiful symphony. And everyone at the same time would move their foot from the brake to the gas. And just like one, one fluid body, we would all move through the green light. <laughs> I would probably get a tear in my eye if I saw that happen, but it doesn't, especially in this day. Someone's texting, someone's turning or messing with a kid, they're, they're distracted. They're just distracted. And if everyone, I mean, just think how beautiful would that look? It would look like, it would look like geese flying in formation. It would look like, it would just be beautiful, wouldn't it? It would just be beautiful. If everybody did like I wanted them to on the road. My wife wouldn't have near as much to pray about. And you know what's not funny? I'm getting conscious of how much I talk about it. She's gotten quiet. She don't say as much. And her not saying anything is causing my conscience to wear me out. I'll just catch myself talking. I'm like, you know, that's doing absolutely no good, is it? And she'd just be looking at her phone. She'd go, mm mm. <laughs> See, what I want on the road is conformity. I don't want unity. I don't want a bunch of people doing their own thing going the same way. I want everybody conformed to my image so that when I take off, they take off. If I'm in the front, it doesn't matter. But when I'm four or five cars back and it's a quick light, I feel the stress level rise. I'm looking at the yellow light. Only five cars got through last time. And I'm number six. I'm getting through. Huh? I do the speed limit. I don't. Sp they don't. You're right, honey. Thank you. Thank you for reminding me. If they just understood what those two digits on the sign meant, they would be great too. It's okay if I've got three lanes to get around them, but when it's just two, help me, Jesus. So I got a witness over here. So good. Y'all pray for me. Hallelujah. But what I want in that circumstance is conformity. I don't want unity. But I see that in, all, in, in lives. And there are places that you need conformity. If you're working on a production line, there's got to be conformity. You can't just do your deal and be creative and make something <laughs> if it's supposed to have a specification. Are you with me? Well, I know it says that I'm supposed to put a warning here, but I just want to put a happy face. That's no bueno. That's not good. Somebody could really be hurt in that situation. But in the body, he said, I've created you as one body with many functions. And the reason I did that is because I want you to see. Unity says a condition of being one, those combined into one, it's a harmony. And the thing that just really st st stuck out is it's something that's whole. It's something that's healthy. A body that walks in unity is healthy. Every part doing its part. Like my foot, doing what a foot's supposed to do and not trying to do what a nose does. You're right? Those things can be a little messed up if your nose starts trying to be the foot 
and your foot starts trying to be your nose. I mean, that's silly, but we see that in the body all the time. If I don't understand who I am, I'll try to be somebody else. Like Ben, he stands up and he speaks, and in five or six minutes, man, we see a crowd just come alive. And I go, well, I got to speak like Ben. Ben gets loud. When he gets excited, he gets loud. So does Stephen. Praise the Lord. Anyway. So if I start shaping my identity off of other people's identity, then all I become is a good counterfeit. And God created me an original. So in the body, we can walk and we can have different personalities. We can have different gifts. If we believe the Bible to be true, it says that when Jesus resurrected, he gave gifts unto men. So that means everyone in this room. And you know what? You may be in this room. You may not even be a believer. You may not have Jesus Christ as the Savior of your life, but there's still a gift on the inside of you. There's a gift on the inside of you that's begging to get out. It's begging to know the God who put it there, and it's begging for a place for it to be expressed so God can get glory for what he's put on the inside of you. And we don't understand that, and so there's frustration that comes, especially in unbelievers. That's why we'll reach out to other things, because if we can't do it, then we try to numb it. So we'll do whatever it takes to numb it, drugs, sex, Whatever, we'll do whatever it takes, alcohol, to numb it because we don't have answers as to why there's this longing on the inside of me to express what God's placed in me. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. I'll read this and uh, we'll, we'll close. Verse 1 says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, Ephesians 4, 1, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you have been called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Listen, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. I want to look at these, these five words, four in, in verse 2 and then one in verse 3. Because this is the privilege that we have as believers in a body working together is this right here. First is lowliness. I want to define these. He said, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another, and endeavoring. So the first word lowliness there, it means this. It means having a humble opinion of oneself. In the area of driving, I do not have a humble opinion of myself. Right? Just trying to make it practical. That's the reality of it. In driving, I I don't. I think everybody should be like me, and the world will be a better place. And I got some witnesses in here, so it's got to be true. Lowliness. The second one is gentleness, and it's it's simple. It means kind and gentle. Third is long-suffering. It means patient endurance. And the word bearing, bearing with one another in love, it means tolerance, restraint, and patience. And endeavoring, it means to make a conscious or concerted effort to an end. So what are you saying with all that? So in the context of what he's talking about here, he said, verse 1 says, I, Paul, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you have called. He says, so walk in a manner that brings honor to the Lord with the calling that's on the inside of you, with those among you. Okay, you with me? He's talking in context of a body. If you keep reading, he talks about the body and and things like that. 
But here he's setting it up. He's laying the foundation. And what he's saying is this. You've got to walk in a way, one, with one another. Here's where I'm getting at. If we want unity and not conformity, conformity says this, and we've seen it throughout church history. Conformity says when you come in, you dress like I dress, you talk like I talk, you do what I do, and you don't do anything I don't do. And if you do that, then you can keep coming here. It's, it's really the law. It's what it is. It's what we saw with the Pharisees. The Pharisees had no, no concept of relationship. All they had a concept of was conformity. You do exactly. There was the Ten Commandments, and they had 600 and some other laws that they had added to it about what you could and you couldn't do. I mean, this, this is, I'm, I'm going to get real with you. I'm going to get as real as I can. Do you know, under the Pharisaical laws, that you couldn't have a bowel movement on the Sabbath? You would break the law. There would be a bunch of people in bad trouble. Bad trouble. You couldn't walk but so far on the Sabbath or you had broken one of their laws. What they wanted was what? Conformity because conformity keeps everybody safe. Conformity keeps everybody clean where they look just like me. And what it makes is a bunch of, of uh, it makes a bunch of imitations and no originals. It's what it does. A bunch of copies. And God created this to be uh, original. So he said this, if you're going to walk in unity, there's going to be things that we have to do on our side. And what is that? It's not to be pleasing to God. We're accepted in the beloved, Ephesians chapter 1. We're accepted in him. This, isn't, this doesn't have, listen to me, all right? Listen, everybody look at me. This doesn't have anything to do with you, with your relationship with the Lord. Right here, what he's talking about is your relationship with one another. And what that looks like. So he's saying, if I'm walking in relationship with the Lord, then what I'm going to have this way is I'm going to have lowliness. That means I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to prefer my brother ahead of me sometimes. It doesn't mean you become a doormat, a floor mat that everybody walks over top of. It means that there are times that I'm going to prefer someone else. You know, I think it was Jimmy Evans. Uh, he's, he teaches on marriage a lot. He said this years ago, and I share, anytime I counsel with someone in marriage, I tell them this, you can't always be right and be happy. You got to make a choice. There might be some times, and I, I've, t- I've told this before, I'll say it again. I've seen it in my wife more than in me, that there have been times that she's been right, and she'd just be quiet and not try to prove her point. And not only was she right, but she was a good winner. She didn't say I told you. Now she just goes. <laughs> Don't say a word. Don't say a word. She just smile. And I've learned not to argue. I'll state what I think. And that way, when I'm wrong, I can do the same thing. <laughs> I just smile back at her. I just smile back. But we have to choose, one, lowliness, second, gentleness. And um, I think as, as simple as this is, this is one of the key ones, is learning how to be gentle with one another. It doesn't mean that you're always worried that somebody's going to get offended, but it also means that I don't just give an offense because I can. And you know where you see that most of the time? You see that in family. You see that with the people that are closest to you because in your mind, what you're thinking is, well, they got to stay with me. Oh, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. 
<clears throat> so we will, we will snap at someone that's close to us sooner than we'll snap at someone who we don't know that well. That's true. Whether you believe it or not, it's true. If you believe it like I believe it, then you can get some freedom today. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Conform, people. Come on. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. But gentleness. The second is long-suffering. This is so important. Patient endurance. You know what? We're all growing. And we are growing at different paces. We're growing from, at, at different places. And when we can walk with patient endurance, and what we can do is this, when we can see Jesus in them instead of the humanity and the flesh around them, when we can see Jesus in them, then we can have grace and we can have lowliness and we can have gentleness and we can be patient as we endure. They're changing and our changing. Are you with me? <clears throat> and the other one is bearing. And that means tolerance, restraint, and patience. It says, look, there are some times that I know that this person is in the process of growth. I don't tolerate sin as saying it's okay, but what I do tolerate is their ability to grow, and that I'm not always over them with a whip saying, nope, quit doing this, quit doing this, quit doing this, quit doing this, stop that, that's sin, that's sin, that's sin, but what I say is, listen, if you'll set your eyes on him, that there's life. If you set your eyes on the world and on sin, you're going to keep doing what you're doing because what you behold, you become. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to be there, and there's some stuff that I have to just go, you know what, this isn't what I want for you, and I've tried to help you in this area, but I'm just going to love you through it. That's not easy. That doesn't feel good, but it's, it's true growth. And I want you to understand, this isn't just in our church. This is in every area of our lives. The last one, he said, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, endeavoring to make a conscious or concerted effort to an end. So what does that mean? That means this, that if I'm endeavoring to keep unity, it means I am conscious of it, that it's before me, that I'm saying, if I see something that seems like it could disrupt it, I don't, I'm not arrogant, I'm gentle, but I go in and I, and I, and I speak from love. Does that make sense? Because what I know, and here, this is what's so cool here. He didn't say that we have to make uh, unity. He didn't say we had to create unity. What did he say? He said that we have to, uh, we don't produce unity, we keep it. So what's that mean? So he's placed in us the ability to walk in unity. It's inside of every one of us to walk. There's an ability to walk in unity on the inside of every one of us. We don't have to produce unity. You understand what I'm saying? Many times we feel like we, if it's going to happen, I'm going to have to make it happen. <laughs> I have, that's tendencies I have sometimes. If it's going to happen, I've got to make it happen. And there are times that that has to happen. But what he's talking about is that I have a conscious effort. It's on the front of my mind that I'm going to keep what God has already given. He gave unity, and it's our responsibility, our privilege to keep unity. It's our responsibility to say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to set my eyes on you. My identity is going to come from you, not what I do, but who you say that I am. And when I live from that place of identity, this, I, I'll, I'll close with this. This past Friday night, one of the things in Love Says Go that was just so powerful to me that uh, Jason pointed out, he said one of the things that he was just reading the scripture and that he realized 
was that when Jesus was in the presence of Satan at the temptation, he wasn't anxious or worried or in fear because he knew who he was. He was in the presence of evil. And Jesus was man and he was God. He was God-man, yes. But he was still a man in the flesh, in the presence of, of evil. He wasn't intimidated. He wasn't afraid. He wasn't uh, anxious. Why? Because he knew that he was the son of God. Why does that matter? Because if we believe the Bible to be true, and, and that's the foundation, that's the bottom line right there. You have to believe the Bible is true, or everything I just said is just like blowing hot air at you. But if we believe the Bible to be true, then he said that when you're born again, that you're born from above, and he says in Ephesians that we're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He says that, uh, here in Ephesians 4 that we're one body, that he's the head, and Ephesians um, 3, is it 3? He's the head. Anyway, I've read so much in Ephesians recently that we're one in him, and so that we're not just... Um, I don't know how to say this without it sounding demeaning. <laughs> Christian means Christ-like one. But that we are literally sons and daughters of God. That when God sees us, when we're born again, God sees us just like he saw Jesus on the earth. Not because of what we do, but because of what he did. It's a position that he's placed us in, accepted in him. So when we function from that place, and the only way that you can do that is by knowing who you are and understanding who you are because then you won't feel that you've got to hold someone else down for you to get up. And not just that. You won't, be able, you won't be afraid that if you see destiny in someone else to call the destiny out in them because you're not afraid that that destiny is going to be bigger than yours because your identity is in not what you're doing but in whose you are. And if you know that you're accepted and that he loves you, the word Jesus, when he prayed, he said, Lord, let them know that you love them just as much as you love me. That's pretty powerful. That he wants you to know today, I don't care what your mistakes are. I don't care how many you've made. Here's where they are in the past. And there's absolutely nothing you can do that can go back and change them. But if we set our eyes, not if, as we set our eyes on him, then your future can look totally different than you ever expected it to. Because the greater, the greater one lives on the inside. We sang, great are you, Lord. Great are you, Lord. And I believe with all my heart that when I prayed that out, that it was something the Lord was saying as a prophetic declaration that, that you can have today can be the first day of the rest of your life. That whatever seemed like it was that wall that you were beating your head against, that today the Lord says it can shift. You can see whatever that issue was, just like that little ant of a seizure with a thousand foot tall Jesus. I love that because I can track with it. See, I'm going to pick on you, Clint. If my identity was in what a good teacher I was, Clint would have crushed me that Friday night. Because Clint came up to me, and he's like, dude, I might need to be in ch children's church because I get this guy. Yeah, I went over your head. So what Clint was saying is, this guy speaks the way I can understand it. If I hadn't known who I was, I could have said Clint was saying, Todd, you don't speak well. <laughs> Todd, when you speak, I get lost. 
<laughs> he was a children's pastor. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. I, I'm just picking on Clint. But I love you, Clint. Clint wasn't. What Clint was saying is, man, I got it when this guy shared it. That's awesome. And I tell you, get it however you can get it. I listen to teachers all the time because I want to grow. I want to learn. I, here's what I do know is this. When you stop learning, you become a lid. When you stop learning, you become a lid because you don't want anyone to grow past you. Now, you may not intentionally say, I'm going to shut everybody else down, but when you stop learning, you become a lid because anyone who learns past you intimidates you. I say, let's keep learning. Let's understand more and more who we are in him so that we can be everything he wants us to be. Does that make sense? I I really believe in this this passage in Ephesians chapter 4, he said that uh, when when he arose, that he led captivity captive and he gave gifts unto men. He gave gifts unto men. So when I look in this room, what I see is a bunch of gifted people. I see people that have the potential to change their work environment. I see people who have the potential to change their communities. I'm not trying to be the motivational speaker. I'm just telling you what I know to be true. But when we believe that, that's when a shift happens on the inside of us. I can say it to you all the time. I was talking with Josh the other day, and he was talking about in their life, in their small group, they was talking about something, and the people were just like, man, that's good, I get it. And I said, what's amazing? I've preached that for years, and they've been in the church, and they didn't hear it. But you have a small group, and you talk about it, and they go, man, that's amazing. I go, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I, I want you to get it. I want you to get it because I, I think the potential of the church is yet to be touched. It's so easy to look in the world and look in media and see all the darkness and be consumed with darkness when he's called us to be a light. But if we'll see the light that he's placed in us through the power of his Holy Spirit and make agreement with that light and say, Jesus, that's really who I am, then we can make a difference in the world around us. But we have to believe it. We have to believe it. And not just believe in ourselves. I'm all about that. But I, I'm talking about believing in him and the God who's in us. Because he's the one that's bigger than any situation, any circumstance, anything we're facing. He's the one that's bigger.